Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 27th. So much to watch for this week across the professional tennis world. Another week that features four tour-level events, two for the men, two for the women, features four ATP challengers, including an event here in the United States in Las Vegas. Speaking of which, four ITF events this week, all located in the U.S., as well as countless others located around the globe. As always, remains a fantastic time to be a fan of the tennis world and to contextualize. Let's be clear. Yes, you have the Asian swing most falls. Yes, you always have the year-end championships to be excited about, but to have this much relevant tennis, you look at some of the tournaments we have unfolding. And of course, on today's show, what I want to do is set the scene for this week for all of you listeners The action on the ATP Tour remains relevant. Of course, we've got the 500-level event in Vienna. We've also got a 250 happening this week in St. Petersburg. It's a critical week for the race to the year-end finals in Turin. You've got all of the guys competing for those final spots. Kasper Ruud, Hubi Hurkacz, Yannick Sinner, Cam Norrie, even the outside shot for Felix Auger-Aliassime. They're all in play in Vienna. And if things break right for each of them with the Paris Masters on the horizon, Horizon as well. Each of them still have a case. Each of them still have a claim to one of those final spots at the year-end finals. Of course, I want to talk about all the players competing in Vienna. The upset we've seen thus far, Hubi Hurkacz knocked off by Andy Murray. Murray's first victory over Hurkacz in as many times as they've played here down the home stretch of 2021. I want to talk about what Murray did well, why unfortunately he wasn't able to get over the finish line against Carlos Alcaraz. And of course, Alcaraz so impressive throughout the course of this week. want to talk about the young Spaniards' continued ascension up the ATP ranks. Of course, over in St. Petersburg, slow indoor hardcore conditions. I love that sort of tennis. I hope you listeners do as well, and certainly we know a slow indoor hardcore is always going to play to the strengths of Taylor Fritz. He has advanced in St. Petersburg, has a matchup tomorrow with Tommy Paul. That one promises to be fun. Want to set the scene over in St. Petersburg, talk some Rublev, talk some Hatchinov, of course. On the women's side, Things have settled down. It's really a race down to two women for the final spot. Own Jabour, Annette Conteve. Conteve winning a title last week. She wins another one this week. She will surpass Jabour, earn that final spot in Guadalajara, of course. That's a tough ask, given how many matches she's played here down the home stretch of 2021, even with the exceptional form she's in. Just eventually, your body's going to give out, and can she summon the strength to make that one final push? That's obviously a storyline to watch, but I want to talk about the players who stand in her pathway to doing just that. Uh, 
on today's show. I want to talk about uh, the return of Emma Raducanu on tour. She's competing in Romania, as is Simona Halep. Again, it's late October, and we're seeing our U.S. Open champ playing matches. Of course, that's a byproduct of the fact that she's 18, but we're seeing Simona Halep chase matches because she hasn't had the opportunity to play that frequently here in 2021. Plenty of excitement things for us to get exciting about, exciting things, I should say, for us to get excited about. I want to talk about the challenger action to watch. Is Stefan Kozlov back? We might have the answer to that question after this week's action in Las Vegas. Of course, you've got the ITF event. So much for us to discuss. Before we get into all of that, I do want to remind all of you listeners that the reason these podcasts are made possible day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family as well, who provide us support day in, day out, not only financially, but of course emotionally as well. It means the world to us to have a group that we know supports every effort that we make here to provide you tennis fans with the coverage we know you deserve. We're also eternally grateful for the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point, the best in the business at providing the best equipment at the best prices. You go to their website right now, tennis-point.com. You can find whatever you're looking for, rackets, strings, grips, clothing, shoes, you name it, they've got it. You use our promo code CR15 at checkout. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. I sincerely mean it every time I say it. We are so grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's set the scene for this week's action across the professional tennis world. We're going to go out of order. You guys know I like to start ladies first. I think we have to start with the highest level event on this occasion. And that's because the field at the ATP 500 in Vienna simply spectacular. It's exactly what you would hope for here down the home stretch of 2021. And of course, the Vienna field always is impressive because you usually have those players trying to make a push for the year-end finals competing in the event. You have, you know, players, young players always on the ascension of late, like Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublevs, Berrettinis of the world, who are never going to pass up the opportunity to play a 500-level event, even this late in the season. Why would they? Their bodies are fine. They're still not even 25 years old. And, you know, again, with all of those various factors in play, I think we've got all but, you know, three of our top uh, 12 players in the world compete. Uh, excuse me, all but four of our top 12 players in the world competing this week. So eight of the top 12 uh, competing in Vienna. And of course, the exceptions, Andre Rublev competing in St. Petersburg, Rafael Nadal out for the season. Djokovic and Medvedev being like, nah, we're good. We're not going to play this event. We're going to rest up for Paris. We're going to rest up for the year-end finals. But... Everyone else is in this field, and we've seen all of them compete here early in the event thus far. I think the standout match of the tournament to date is probably the level we saw between top seed Stefano Tsitsipas and unseeded but Indian Wells semifinalist Grigor Dimitrov. I'm not ready to declare Dimitrov back because, of course, there's always, you know, he made a similar push at the end of last season. The match he played, I think it was against Demonauer uh, over in Antwerp. I want to say he played either Umber or Tsitsipas as well during that stretch. Showed off a really high level during that stretch of time. And, of course, for Dimitrov, for him, it's about the health. He's struggled with so many different nagging things. He tested positive for COVID as well over the past really 36 months. But he looks healthy right now. And just the shot-making on display, and I know shot-making is a bit of an arbitrary concept, but the shot-making on display between Tsitsipas and Dimitrov it was sensational. And you look for Stefano Tsitsipas again, what he was able to do so well throughout the course of the match, make 61% of his first serves and wins 82% of those points. That's going to get the job done, particularly when you're playing indoor hardcore tennis. He saved all four of the break points he faced, only had one break of serve. It came in the uh, second set, but he can, you know, one of two on his break point chances. He also won 59% of his second serve points. Front foot tennis was the name of the game, and you look for Tsitsipas, 19 of 21 at the net in this match. 21 winners against 11 unforced errors. It was all clicking 
for the top seed. And look, Dimitrov played exceptional. 25 winners for him, 17 unforced errors in the match. It's not as though he did anything wrong. This uh, result was just indicative of Tsitsipas' best is better than Dimitrov's. He's able to penetrate the court a little bit easier, both with his serve and with his first forehand. And that first forehand is just so dynamic at this point. The confidence with which Tsitsipas goes after that plus one ball, whether it's inside in, inside out, down the line, short angle, cross court, he will do anything he wants with his plus one forehand, and he'll hit that ball confidently. And then he's at the net. And, you know, again, Tsitsipas early in his career was a guy who knew where to go, what to do, but wasn't the most natural volleyer. He is now. The volleys come easily to him, whether it's the drop volley, whether it's the first volley with depth just to force a really difficult second passing shot out of his opponent. And there were times when Dimitrov came up with the goods and came up with these ridiculous in the outer thirds of the court's passing shots that there's nothing Tsitsipas could do but, you know, clap his racket. And, you know, there were times when the slice of Dimitrov, just the depth he was able to get with it, the nothingness he was able to do with it, it disrupted the rhythm of Tsitsipas. No doubt about that. Dimitrov played a good match. Stefanos was better. You know, again, Stefanos's return of serve was just a little bit, there was a little bit more depth, a little bit more sting to it. And even if he may have missed a few more returns throughout the course of the match, and shout out as always to the new stats offered by our friends at the ATP. You look for Stefanos Tsitsipas, 37 points. Uh, he won 37 of his 68 total points in 0-4 to four shot rallies. Dimitrov was at 40 points uh, in the 0-4. to four. Tsitsipas 21-20 to 20 in the 5-8. to eight. Tsitsipas 10-7 to seven in the 9-plus shot rallies. It was is a 68 to 67 total uh, point split. This match about as close as you could have expected it to be. Again, the difference in the match, Tsitsipas uh, able to get to the net more frequently and in a more comfortable position. And in the end, that really is the biggest difference when you look uh, at the stats in this match between these two players. For Stefano Tsitsipas, he's able to get to the net and again, have success. I believe I want to get the official number for you because we have it now. And again, cannot give enough credit to the ATP Tour. We've called for the stats. They now have the stats available for us. Tsitsipas at the net uh, in this match, just the more successful of the two players. You look for him overall, 19 of 21, Dimitrov's 8 of 10. That Those 11 extra times at the net, that's the difference. And let's be clear, Dimitrov led 6-3 in the first set breaker. He, you know, those two points were on the Stefano Tsitsipas serve, and he took care of those two points with big first serves and a big plus one forehand. But Dimitrov had the point on serve. And Tsitsipas is able to get that return back with depth. And, you know, again, given his improved physicality, he's able to pressure Dimitrov a little bit more easily. And just, you know, Dimitrov blinked. And just like that, Stefano Tsitsipas has the 7-6 first set. And, you know, has it been the best home stretch for Stefano Tsitsipas here in 2021? Probably not. But still, you look for him overall fifth in overall ELO, seventh in 2021 specific ELO. But perhaps most impressively, you look for him now third in the ATP rankings. That's a career high. Third in the points race, you look for Stefano Tsitsipas. He's fifth in hold percentage on the year, 87.6%. He's finally a top 25 returner for the first time. Stefano Tsitsipas getting that break percentage up this year to a career high 20 6.2%. Again, that's a top 25 number. The serve has always been elite. The return skills have come along as well. And you look for Stefano Tsitsipas. He's your leader in match wins here in 2021. He's your leader, I believe, in most quarterfinals and most semi uh, or tied maybe for most semifinal appearances as well. But it's been a breakthrough season. This is what it looks like when you're ascending to the, your prime. You win your first Masters title. You make a Grand Slam final. Yes, a bit disappointing for Tsitsipas, certainly down the home stretch, given the five-set loss to Alcaraz, given the three-set loss to Basilashvili in the Indian Wells quarterfinals. But let's be clear. Indian Wells quarterfinals, Cincinnati semifinals, Canada semifinals, the home stretch has not been a disappointment. For Stefano Tsitsipas, and he earns, again, the victory of the tournament thus far, knocking off Dimitrov in straight sets. Of course, that is not your only match you've seen unfold uh, amongst the top seeds, all the top four seeds advancing in straight sets in the round of 32. A little bit of drama for each of them. Alexander Zverev, dominant first set, and he made a comment in press. He said, right now on hard courts, and this is not meant to be disrespectful to Tsitsipas. This is his words. This is not me saying it's not meant to be disrespectful. Zverev said, I am not trying to be mean to, you know, rude to Stefanos, but I think myself, Medvedev, Zverev, uh, Djokovic, are on a different level on a hard court right now than everyone else. I can't say I disagree. 
with that fact just you know again the front foot power Tennessee can play when he has time on the baseline his backhand down the line I think is now the best backhand down the line on tour the serve gets better and better and for Zverev now he's 12th in hold percentage 6th in break percentage obviously five sets with Djokovic uh at uh at the in the U.S. Open and you know loses that match seven six in the third to Fritz but if you know had match points felt like he really should have won that match won that Indian Wells wins the title in Cincinnati wins the gold medal as well obviously go read Racket Magazine. Go read Slate.com. Ben Rothenberg's piece addressing the allegations he faces of physical and emotional abuse off the court. On the court, Alex Zirov is clicking. This is also what it looks like when a player is ascending to the peak of his prime. Goes down 5-2 in that second set. Wins five consecutive games. It just flipped the switch and made it look easy. 6-2-7-5. He advances. A little bit of drama for Matteo Berrettini. Of course, Alexi Paparin, well-built to expose Berrettini's weaknesses. Power tennis into the Berrettini backhand. Big serves, big plus one game. Don't allow Berrettini time to play on his front foot. Take it to him. Paparin did a really good job matching him stride for stride for the most part in this match, but ultimately Berrettini, 6-3 victory. He advances to clinch his spot at the year-end finals, and let's be clear, he and Rublev both belong there. They've, you know, there's been a clear top six this season. Medvedev, uh, excuse me, Djokovic, Medvedev, Zirev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, Rublev, all six, your first six to qualify for the year-end finals, of course. A guy on the chase, much-needed victory, Kasper Ruud, he looked damn good in a win, 7-5-7-6 over, obviously, a top-20 guy on hard courts this year. In Lloyd Harrison, you know, forced uh, Kasper Ruud, it's just how compact everything can look for him. On the return of serve, he, his backhand backswing so uh, brief that he's just able, you know, was able to absorb the pace of Lloyd Harris, get that ball back with depth, absorb the plus one forehand, you know, be creative with the blump, uh, the block slices and the bump returns and just, you know, for him, when you give him time on that forehand, there's so much bite to it and he can do that on the backhand wing as well. Go down the line, incorporate uh, obviously the drop shots, the volleys. He's another guy. He's so suddenly finds himself here in 2021 top 10 club both top 10 in hold and break percentage again ascension to prime you could argue it's rude nori karatsev whatever your flavor is those are your three candidates for most improved player of the season kasparud fantastic victory for him seven five seven six uh over lloyd harris he now advances interesting round of 16 for him over defending vienna champion uh lorenzo sonego of course you look at the other results, just quickly to run through the seeds, I made my rant yesterday why I'm all in on Yannick Sinner. To him, to, for him to go from a title last week, four and two over Riley Opelka on an indoor hardcourt. One was playing checkers, the other was playing chess. Sinner advancing straight sets. You also got a much needed win FAA indoor hardcourts. You'd think that's a surface he should be thriving on. Three and two for him over Barankis, two and five for Schwartzman over Fabio Fodnini, your other winners, and there were a bunch of winners on the day. Basilashvili continues his good form, three sets over Karino Booster, Dimanuer, Karino Booster, excuse me, Dimanauer, much needed straight set win over Kevin Anderson, Nori continues to rock and roll, straight sets over Fukcevic, Monfils, the resurgence continues, straight sets over Musetti, also had wins from Novak, Sinego, and as mentioned, Francis Tiafo, a 4-4 four and four win over the deuce last two matches i want to mention here from vienna and again it's an atp 500 there are so many fantastic players in uh putting together performances but two guys who have now played their round of 16 matches here on the day obviously uh i am referring to carlos alcaraz and andy murray alcaraz knocking off dan evans in straight sets and following that up with a straight set win over andy murray to advance to the quarterfinals here in vienna I mean, Carlos Alcaraz is so freaking excellent. The the pace he can generate on the forehand is special. And there were just times when he would blast the ball by both Evans and Andy Murray, and there was just nothing they could do about it. They would try to, you know, make the point physical and extend rallies and get him stretched in the outer third and try and attack that backhand wing and go deeper and deeper into that corner until you could force Alcaraz to hit a forehand on the stretch. But even when he has to hit a forehand on the stretch, the athleticism, the strength for him when he's on that full stretch in the corners of the court it's special 
And I know yesterday's title was you know it when you see it, but you just know it when you see it with Carlos Alcaraz. And I actually think the depth on his backhand gets better and better each and every time I see him. And he's able to incorporate slice on that wing, able to mix things up, incorporate drop shot, of course, much like Stefano Tsitsipas, Roger Federer. He's got Rafael Nadal. He's got that quality about him where his footwork is so precise and so aggressive that he's able to get around that ball on the ad side of the court, go inside out, inside in, but most importantly, find forehands on the ad side whenever he'd like. He's also a confident volleyer who doesn't just know where to go and what to do, but can execute each type of volley in the playbook. I mean, again, Murray had a bit of a dead leg because certainly he played a physical three-set match against Hubie Hercots in the round of 32. Murray, his first top 10 win in his comeback tour, 6-4, 6-7, 6-3 over Hubie. And of course, what you liked so much from that match for Andy Murray. The success on the first serve continues for him. He wins 85% of his first serve points, hits 10 aces on the day, 52% of his second serve points as well, was only broken once, fighting off nine of the 10 break points he faced. 17 of 24 at the net, 27 winners against 25 unforced errors. Of course, you look for Hubi Hercot, he had 40 winners against 31 unforced errors, and yet it just felt like for Murray, who got broken right away to start the third set, he breaks right back at the start of the third 4-1 all and you know, had the momentum it felt like at the start of that second set, and yet Hubi was able to rip that momentum away from him and able to steal that second set in a breaker 8-6 Murray didn't go away. Murray stuck with his game plan, just again, was a little bit more aggressive with his first forehand, and that's obviously the new Andy Murray. We've talked about this over the past few weeks, but the aggression on the plus one ball, his willingness to move forward, if he gets an opportunity to rip the forehand now, he's going to do it. He prefers to hit that forehand out on the ad side of the court, now go inside in, inside out with that ball, try and play it aggressively before moving forward. And yet my best takeaway continues to be his improvement moving left, his improvement moving in and out of that backhand corner, swinging through that ball instead of being forced to play the slice. And the fact that he gets a little bit quicker going into those corners each and every week, that it goes from, you know, he was probably two full seconds slower than prime Andy Murray at Wimbledon. I would say he's now a second slower going in and out of those corners. And there was the passing shot, the highlight that ran around t- tennis Twitter that he hit, you know, dip the backhand low cross court. Hercots hits the down the line backhand volley and on the run Murray forehand passing shot hits on the sprint down the line past Hercots. That's vintage Murray. That's the first glimpse of 2016 Andy Murray we have seen on this comeback tour. And obviously he is not yet at a point where he can replicate that point in, point out, even match in, match out, as we saw today. I just thought Alcaraz had too much pop and was willing to withstand the physicality of Murray early in rallies, you know, got depth on his returns, and then, you know, just would win. Eventually, a ball would sit short for Andy, and Alcaraz had too much pace with that forehand uh, for Murray to do anything with it, would just blast the ball by Andy, and Andy didn't have easy ways to hurt Alcaraz. Uh, during the course of the baseline rallies. And you look at the numbers for the match, Alcaraz, 24 winners against 16 unforced errors. Murray, 16 winners against 25 unforced errors. You know, again, that said, I thought Murray played a really, really good match against Hubi Hurkats. Obviously, it's his first top 10 win on the comeback tour and just... He continues to be more aggressive with his first serve. That aggression is working, and tactically, Andy Murray has always been brilliant, but it's interesting that this hip injury, if there's any, I suppose, positive you're trying to spin here, it's that it forces him to be aggressive, forces him to come to that, show off how good of a volleyer he freaking actually is, and it's just interesting to watch the tactical genius at work of Andy Murray as he tries to problem-solve his way back, not only into the top 100, but back into you know top 50, top 20 relevance on the ATP Tour. He certainly showed the level, but, you know, again, just got blitzed by the informed young Spaniard, Carlos Alcaraz, who was just so immensely impressive. And you look for Carlos Alcaraz now, of course, in the live rankings. He's currently at a career high. Is Alcaraz, excuse me, number 40 in the live rankings. That's two off his career high, but you look for him 22nd in the points race here this season, you want to look at the ELO ratings. Carlos Alcaraz has worked his way all the way up. I believe Alcaraz now, where is he in the overall ELO rating? 16th in overall ELO. Carlos Alcaraz 13th in 2021 specific form. Alcaraz right now 
a little bit further down the list as a server he finds himself in terms of 2021 hold percentage 40th amongst top 50 players but if you look at his break percentage fourth overall 33.5 percent that's about as elite as it get folks all you see all of those elite skills and again even if the backhand's not as explosive as the forehand it's not a weakness it's not a liability he gets better and better and again still isn't even 20 years old Carlos Alcaraz super impressive in straight set victories over both Dan Evans and Andy Murray who threw the kitchen sink at him and again it showed his maturity that he was able to advance those are the results we've seen thus far we also got a three set win from Matteo Berrettini today over Nicolas Basilashvili that sets up blockbuster day of action in Vienna on Thursday. Six round of 16 matches on hand up and down the board. Wimbledon, you know, Stefano Tsitsipas only has one first round loss this year. It's first round Wimbledon to Francis Tiafo. That's a round of 16 rematch tomorrow. You've got Alex Diemenauer looking for any sort of confidence heading into 2021, taking on Alex Zverev. FAA versus Nori is a match with uh, tour finals implications of course with Hercots being eliminated that opens up the door for Cam Nori to make a push for that eighth spot he trails Hercots by fewer than 200 points entering this result has the chance to jump him by one if not two rounds uh with his or with two rounds if not more with a win over Felix but of course indoor hard court the power of Felix the craft of Nori that promises to be an exciting matchup Sinner, Novak, I mean, it's been a lot of tennis for Yannick Sinner, and I don't think I've actually ever seen Dennis Novak lose, but, you know, that should be a fun one as well, watching Novak take the power, the pace of Sinner redirected. Kasparud gets a matchup with defending Vienna champion Lorenzo Sonego, Diego Schwartzman, Gael Monfils, a match that's probably a little cooler in 2017, but given the resurgence of Monfils, that's a fun match. If you're asking me for a prediction this week in Vienna, I'm going Zverev. I think his best is just better than anyone else's in the field in an indoor hardcore with the progressions he's made on serve, and he's still Zverev as a returner. I think, he, you know, again, it's good matchups for him early on. You get uh, Demon Hour now, who doesn't have the weapon to really hurt him. That match is on Zverev's terms, and then, you know, he's played Felix so well throughout his career. He's always matched up well against lefties, which is what Cam Nori is, and boy, would that be a fun matchup. Then Berrettini Alcaraz, I mean, that gets in. I mean, all of these matchups are interesting. That's why you pick them so much. Tsitsipas on an indoor hard court, you like. But I'm going to go Zverev 1. I'm going to say it's a Zverev Sinner final and give me Zverev in the end. I do think Yannick Sinner is on the rise, folks. And so is Carlos Alcaraz, obviously. I think he probably beats Berrettini. Although the problem for Alcaraz, the serve sits a little bit short. That gives opportunities to Berrettini to run around the ball, hit the big forehand. Nevertheless, all of this is to say... Vienna is the place to watch for this week. And you look for the tennis abstract formula. Alexander Zverev, 31.8% favorite. He's your money, uh, your leader right now. Tsitsipas, 17%. Sinner, 15%. You then get to Berrettini, 9.2. Rude, 6.3. Alcaraz, 5.1. Nori, 5.5. So again, just about what you would expect. For those of you curious, I will check out the DraftKings lines here right now for uh, the action this week in Vienna. You look at the futures odds right now your favorite is Zverev uh and then of course it goes uh it goes Zverev Tsitsipas and then the Sin Man very much in line with what we see over on Tennis Abstract but that is your 500 level action this week let's hop over now and talk about the women's events we have happening let's start with the action over in Romania we got the return of U.S. Open champion Emma Raducanu, who, of course, was coming off of a disappointing first-round loss by her standards at Indian Wells. You know, if you didn't tweet out, Emma Raducanu earns her first WTA Tour victory yesterday. Are you really a part of tennis Twitter? But it is worth mentioning. It is her first tour-level victory, not at the U.S. Open. And for Raducanu, who raced off to a 4-1 lead against the always tricky Polona Herzog, she ends up, uh, you know, dropping that first set 6-4, but in the end, a 4-6-7-5-6-1 victory over Herzog. I watched that match closely. And it was interesting, you know, for Raducanu, A, an indoor hardcore, different surface for her. 
The forehand still looked exceptional. Her ability to get her weight behind that shot, whether it's to rip it down the line, whether to just hit you with blast to pace down the center of the court, her ability to drag that ball cross-court as well, her ability to just get her return of serve with depth each and every time, and if you leave a second serve short, she's going to attack you with her return. That was extraordinarily impressive. I thought her backhand down the line was super impressive. The the do side slice out wide to set up the plus one forehand is the best play in the Radicanu playbook. The backhand cross court does leave a little bit to be desired because when she's pushed deep into that corner, she'll pull up out of that ball when she's hitting it. And as such, that ball will land a little bit shorter in the court or just, again, she won't quite get her legs under it. So she's not quite able to drive it with the depth, the pace she is when she goes down the line. That's what Ranakadu wants to be doing. She wants to be playing big down the line, taking that ball early on the rise. Now, I don't think that's a revelation to any of you who watched all of her matches closely, but I do think that will become the scouting report for hers. A, if you're going to get her stretched, get her stretched in that backhand corner because it's not quite as easy for her to produce that sort of pace and also keep your eye out for the backhand down the line because that's the side she wants to sneak by you now again is the backhand cross court a discernible weakness no and she's still not even 20 years old and I don't think that backhand cross court is bad I just think that is of the arsenal the thing I see most closely and she's a good, not exceptional mover, but she certainly has the athleticism, the fluidity in and out of corners to become a very good move. Movement will never be a problem for for Emiratakanu. The second serve sits up a little bit short, and you look at the stats from her match uh, against Polona Herzog for Emiratakanu in the course of the action. She ends up winning, I believe, 75% of her first serve points, only 46% of her second serve points. Now, she won 60% of her own second serve return points, so she was able to match uh, the struggles, I suppose, with success on her return of serve, and she creates 17 break point chances for herself throughout the course of the match compared to the five that she faced. So as a veteran, you know, this is the sort of victory you need as you work your way and solidify your spot at the top of the rankings. You let a first set get away from you no matter. You bounce back, take a tight second set, 7-5, pull away 6-1 in the third. I was impressed by Radakanu. I did like what I saw in an indoor hardcourt, the power she's able to generate. Again, when she gets her momentum behind the forehand, just look out. It's lights out. She hits that ball so decisively, and she just keeps attacking, attacking, attacking. There's a tenacity that she plays with as well. Much to be impressed about for Radakanu, who now advances to face another, uh, or to face Anna Bogdan. Excuse me, you look elsewhere in the draw. The race is on for Annette Conteve. Four victories away from clinching a spot in the year-end finals. Here's what that draw would look like. She knocks off Alex Krunik, 6-3-7-5. She's going to face the always tricky Ellie Van Utvenik, who's going to try, try and take that ball early on the rise, put some pressure on Conteve. Of course, Conteve enters that match as the favorite. Then she'd get the hard-hitting Annalena Kalnina, and while Kalnina hasn't done it always at the tour level this season, she's won about 80% of her matches this year, over a 50-match sample size. Kalnina's been exceptional, and she just plays so aggressively. She goes after you. That would be, what, match number six, seven, four, Conteve in about a 10, 11-day span. That's the tricky matchup. I think if she gets through that, though, now the final, the path to the finals looks very, very clear because I think Kalanina's the roadblock in the quarterfinals. Then it's likely Serenko or Rebecca Peterson uh, after that. You know, yeah, finals tough when you look at that top half. Halep, Radakanu, Kostyuk all still alive. And Simona Halep, one and two victory over an inform Elena Gabriela Rus. So that's a nice victory for Halep here in her home country. Sure, Halep's the biggest obstacle, certainly. But at that point, it's adrenaline. At that point, do you go before the match to Simona Halep and say, Simona, look, how many times have you made it your own championships? You know what this would mean to me. You know the bonuses you get paid out just for playing the matches. If I win one of the matches in Guadalajara, you can have that bonus. And I'm not saying Simona Halep would throw the match. But I'm just saying, for all, maybe don't chase down that ball in the corner. Maybe give, let Conteve win out this moment. Of course, I'm just messing around. All of that said... I mean, at that point, it's adrenaline, right? At that point, she finds the legs for one more match. 
I think the roadblocks Kalani. I think she gets through that. She makes the final. And then Sunday's matchup with whomever it may be in the final. And again, you look at the top portion of this draw. Simona Halep still alive. Uh, you had Jacqueline Christine, the uh, Romanian, who's now inside comfortably the top 100 for the first time in her career. She earns three sets over Kaya Yuvan, then 7-6-7-5 over Alia Tamjanovic, who, by the way, a good three-set win for her over Potapova in round one. Kirstein's coming. She has been one of the good stories here down the home stretch of 2021. Her, you know, again, Rusa. It's a nice little group of Romanian tennis players on the rise in the WTA Top 100. It's the Halep effect. And, of course, Simona Halep, one of those players still alive as well. But, again, that's where things stand. Over in Romania, Kostyuk, straight set win over Bernardo Perez. She now takes on Bartel Bogdan, taking on Radakanu tomorrow. Gracheva going to take on Halep, Pedersen, Barra, and then again Kanteve taking on Van Utvenik. You look at the tennis abstract rankings formula, they don't feel fatigued. So naturally, Annette Kanteve, 43.1% favorite. You then have Halep at 23.6, Radakanu 19.4. Next comes Serenko at 4.1%, but I think we all agree. The Dark Horses and Helena Kalnina and Marta Kostyuk. When Kostyuk is clicking, she's got the firepower to go toe-to-toe with anyone. I would love to see a Kostyuk-Radakanu quarterfinal matchup. I think that could be a fantastic rivalry over the next couple of years. Nevertheless, that is where things stand in Romania. Let's move next to the action happening over in Italy. Another WTA 250 on our hands. Quality field across the board. We did have a couple of withdrawals from our top two seeds. Ong Jabur out with the same elbow injury that plagued her last week. He also had a withdrawal from Camilla Giorgi, right foot injury. As such, and Lee champion last week elevated to a number nine seed diana yastrzemska elevated to a number 10 seed yastrzemska has made the most of that change in her draw working her way to the quarterfinals wins for her over diachenko and katarina kozlova you look elsewhere and lee three set win for her in her first match comes from a set down against rakimova lee coming off of a title victory last week in tenerife uh has now worked her way into the wta top 50 positioned herself perfectly perfectly has the 21 year old she can avoid the injuries obviously she had last season she's got no play court points to defend that's free reign for her to make a big push towards the top 30 and I said it yesterday I'll say it again the power she's able to produce that quickness to beat you to this spot the springiness of her game her willingness to hit overheads I'm all in on Anne Lee. And by the way, if she wins her second round matchup against Magdalena Freak, her matchup in the quarterfinals against Clara Tawson, that's must-see. Maybe we go live on Twitter sort of content here at Cracked Racket. So very much looking forward to that matchup. Of course, it'll be super fun to see the winner of that play the winner of Ludmilla Samsonova, who always looks good on a quick court, particularly indoor hard court. It's going to be fascinating to see her, of course, uh, take on Anna Kalinskaya, who's been excellent of late in her their quarterfinal matchup, you look uh, elsewhere, of course, across the draw. Uh, Shui Zhang uh, going to take on Shin Yu Wang. Donna Vekic looking for some late season form. She's going to take on Sai Sai Zhang. Jasmine Paolini, who's been so great of late, taking on uh, uh, Luceriza uh, uh, Stefanini, uh, of course, in your final matchup. That is the action in Italy. You look at the tennis abstract formula right now. Clara Tossin, your favorite. Not a shock, 32.4%. After that, big dip down to Samsonova, 14.6. Yastrzemska, 10.6. And Lee, 8.6. Boy, do I hope we get a Tossin-Lee matchup because I do think the winner of that ends up winning this one. I'm going to lean Tossin just given the amount of tennis uh, that Ann Lee has played over the past few days. But never doubt a 21-year-old's ability to ride adrenaline and bounce back. And I'll tell you what, if Ann Lee does take this title, she immediately becomes everyone's dark horse pick at the 2022 Australian Open. Of course, those are your WTA Tour level events. We've got one more ATP level event happening on the men's side. Obviously, it's an ATP event, but tour level event happening, I should say, on the men's side. That's the action over in St. Petersburg. 250 event happening this week. We've already seen a couple of results thus far. 
all of your seeds competing in the round of 32 managed to advance to the round of 16 with straight set victories. That means uh, Korda, straight sets over Sodorusic, Bublik over Turnyev, Hachinov over Manorino, and then Taylor Fritz, an impressive 1-4 in victory over the hard-hitting man from hard-hitting Finnin. That's not, that doesn't work. Anyways, hard-hitting Emil Rusevori, Fritz, a 1-4 victory in the end to advance to set up a matchup against Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul, an impressive 3-2 win over Pedro Martinez. Some of the other standout performers, Mackey continues to rock and roll in the slow, hardcore conditions in St. Petersburg. You're looking at a guy who won the Nur Sultan Challenger earlier this season, thrives if you give him that much more extra time because he is, speaking of springy, he can just snap a ball by anyone at any moment. He gets a 5-4 win over Gerasimov. Impressive win for BVDZ, 2-2 two and two over Nishioka. Uh, you also had wins from Chilich, from Milman, from Pablo Andujar. Ilya Vashka continues his success 3-2 and two over Laszlo Jure. And then, what a week for Jan-Leonard Struff. And you never know when it's going to come for Struff. I believe is now 23-26 and 26 here in 2021. He's made a final here this season, but a bunch of first-round losses mixed in as well. Maybe the set of the day of the week I've seen thus far was the first set between Struff and the Duck, James Duckworth. And, you know, again, the ball bashing that was happening in that set. Both guys swinging freely on that forehand wing. And, you know, again, Struff was just a little bit more dynamic on that backhand side, was able to pressure the Duckworth slice, was able to pressure that side for him. Struff ends up advancing 7 6 6 3 and then gets a victory, you know, 4 and 3 over Sasha Bublik in the round of 16. And we have seen a couple of round of 16 matches unfold. Andre Rublev 4 and 4 over Avashka was just striking the ball so purely, was in control from start to finish. Then it was an impressive bounce back win from Denis Shapovalov 2 6 6 3 6 love. He earns a victory over Pablo Andahar. You know, again, for Shapo. It's been a pretty, uh, it's a fascinating season. You know, again, a Wimbledon semifinal mixed in with a disappointing home stretch here in 2021. At the same time, just listen to the contact point for Shapovalov. When he's hitting that forehand cleanly and the pop on his serve, his willingness to move forward, the, you know, again, the tenacity, the feistiness Shapovalov plays with, there's a lot to like about the Canadians game. And so again, three set victory for him. Over Andahar to advance to the quarterfinals. You look at the matchups on the board tomorrow. You've got Vandesen Sculp taking on Korda, RBA versus Mackey, Chilich Hachinov, Fritz Paul, Milman taking on Karatsev as well as Karatsev's tournament gets underway, the champion last week over in Moscow. Should be exciting action. And of course, you look at the tennis abstract formula Rublev 34.2% favorite, Karatsev 12.8, Shapo 11.5. I see the bounce back week from Rublev. I see him taking that momentum into Paris, into the year-end finals. I see him running out of gas at the year-end finals once again, but I see him taking this title. Although, oh, or do I take Korda? Hmm. Korda BVDZ tomorrow is going to be fascinating because, again, on these slow courts, Korda is just Thomas Burditch with more fluidity. And I say that complimentary, by the way. And I know how excellent Burdich was. So maybe, but he doesn't have quite the power of Tomas Burdich yet. But oh man, there's a lot to like about Sebastian Corden. Yeah, it's still a little bit inflexible out of corners, but so was Tsitsipas at age 20, age 21. And so maybe the quarter absorption and the redirection and just ability to handle the pace of Rublev. Screw it. Give me Korda. Give me Korda to win in Moscow. I'm standing right now. He's going to lose to BVDZ tomorrow. But give me Korda to knock off Rublev going a run here. Although I do like the Rublev run. I mean, the winner's coming out of the top half. It's one of Mackey, Rublev, and Korda. Those are my picks to win this event. Do with that as you will. Nevertheless, that is your ATP level action. Let's move next to what's happening at the challenger level. Four of them. This week, a bunch of storylines for us to monitor. Of course, as I'm recording this podcast, the action continuing over in Las Vegas. Got a couple of wins from Michael Moe, who earns a win, uh, 4-4 victory over former Illinois All-American Alexander Vukic. Moe, you know, has peaked his head into the top 100, but has had so many injury issues throughout the course of the year slow him down. The former Kalamazoo champion, former top five junior in the world, clearly has the talent, clearly has the athleticism to thrive in the modern game, just, again, hasn't been able to play a sustained period of play as such. 
you know, he's yet to really, you know, solidify himself. And you have to imagine he sees Tommy Paul, he sees Taylor Fritz, he sees Riley Opelka, he sees Francis Tiafo. Those are his peers. And he's just not at the level that, you know, he's not with them right now. And so, you know, if healthy, Moses dangerous as ever. And so for him now, he sets up a matchup with Mikhail Torpegard. Torpegard wins over Tennis Sandgren and Dane Kelly. That should be a physical, physical battle. Good victory for J.J. Wolf as he tries to work his way back towards the top 100 following injury. He gets wins over Shintaro Machizuki and Dennis Kudla comes back from a set down 4-6-6-3-6. Love, just too much firepower down the home stretch for Dennis. I believe as I speak, Kwiatkowski is playing Ernesto Escobedo. You look at the top half of the draw. We did have an upset. Stevie Johnson knocked off by 21-year-old Brit. Aiden McHugh, he now takes on 2017 Vegas champion Stefan Kozlov. If Kozlov wins this, he's back, folks. But he's got to win it first. The draw is open for him. Would face McHugh, then the winner of Kubler Gomez. You look at the top half, only see uh, Daniel Altmaier, Taro Daniel, both still alive. They face our guy, Alexander Kavasevich for Altmaier, T- uh, Tatsuma Ito for Taro Daniel. That's where things stand over in Vegas, of course. Some of the other players to watch, Brandon Nakashima. He's still got to solidify himself a spot at the next-gen finals. He's currently 51 points shy of the next-gen finals qualification cutoff. As such, he's playing this week at the Challenger over in France. Earned a first-round victory over Piros. The qualifier now has Zapata Morales next. Would face Henry Laxanen if he wins that match. Laxanen a win over Holger Rune. Of course, Richard Gasquet uh, in play at this event. Top seed Arthur Rinderneck already locked, uh, knocked out, but... Plenty of fun to watch in Paris. I would say the Nakashima push for the year-end finals. The biggest storyline, I mean, the action in Lima is fantastic. Thomas Burrios Vera taking on Vit Capriva. You've got Juan Pablo Varias, my birthday twin, still in action. He's taking on Colorini. Plenty of the uh, young talents. Thomas Echeverry, Juan Manuel Serendolo, former NC State standout, Alexi Galarno. All still in play over at the action on the red clay court. So that's a fun one to watch. And then, of course, over on the red carpet, it is a hideous surface, but the red carpet over in Germany, you've got uh, plenty of fun action still alive. Kasper Zuck looking to finish his year as he started it. He's into uh, the quarterfinals. Jonas Forjacek, the talented young Czech, he's still alive. He knocked out Jordan Thompson, the number one seed, in a three-set first-round victory. Cressy still alive. Him on carpet courts. Good luck. Oscar Ota in this event, him on carpet courts. Good luck in that matchup. Plenty of fun action, again, happening at the challenger level. And then you've got four ITF events happening at the United St- uh, in the United States this week. You look across the board. We'll start with the action happening for the women. You've got the 80K event in Tyler. I mean, this could be 125K and totally pass the sniff test. Top seed Madison Brangle coming off of a title last week. Uh, you've got the number two seed Claire Liu. Impressive straight set victory for her over former NCAA, I believe, champion in Francesco DiLorenzo of Ohio State. Of course, uh, you look elsewhere in the draw. Katie Volleynets earning a first-round victory. You've got Harriet Dart, your five-seed first-round victory. Beatriz Haddad Maya continues her success at the ITF level. I love Misaki Doi, three-set victory in her first match. I love that we see people like Reese Brantmeyer, San Diego 18, girls 18's finalist, and, you know, Whitney Osigwe in the draw. You've got, uh, I believe, Ashlyn Kruger, your uh, girls 18 San Diego champion, a qualifier into this event. She's got a tricky matchup, first round against number seven seed Katie McNally. And then, of course, I love the inclusion of wildcard Alana Smith, who's been killing it, the former NC State standout uh, on the ITF circuit over these past few months months she gets a wild card into this event as well plenty of fun over in Tyler at the 25k this week happening in Austin we found where the University of Texas women went and of course that's a topic I explore on today's GSP with our newest contributor John Parsons when we recap the ITA All-Americans but you see players like Charlotte Shavatapan in the draw you see players uh, I believe you know like I want to say Kylie Collins yep she's still alive in this draw and you know, again, 
plenty of fun players with college tennis ties. You've got uh, people like Alicia Bolton, first-round winner, th- one in three over Gabriella Lee. Good to see her healthy again. You've got Ashley Leahy here uh, in the draw, Chanel Van Wynn here in the draw. You've got plenty of that. You know, Ina Shibahara ends up losing her match, but she's here in the draw. Lulu Sun, three-set victory for her in her first-round match. You've also got people like Kayla Day, Katrina Scott, Plenty of fun action to monitor on the women's side. Then, of course, I'm just trying to say that phrase as much as possible here down the home stretch. But on the men's side, you look at the two events we have. 25K in Calabasas, your top seed there, Rinki Hijikata, who's 31-10 since the start of June at the ITF level. 31-10, three ITF titles. Is he coming back to school? Your guess is as good as mine, of course. Some other interesting results. Pepperdine's Daniel DeJong continues his incredible uh, fall. Three-set win for him over Stanford's Arthur Ferry. You've got uh, 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 Nathan Ponwith ending the run of Hawaii's Andre Illigan. Ponwith a straight-set victory over Illigan in the first round here. Three and three. You look elsewhere. Ethan Quinn taking on Alex Sarkeesian is entertaining. Gage Brimer versus Michael Shabazz. That feels like a match from a different level lifetime. Got a win from Govananda, win from Tristan Breuer, number two seed Zach Sveidegum take on Mac Whitehouse, Max, uh, Mark Whitehouse, excuse me, in his first round match. Uh, again, should be an intriguing one in Calabasas. And then finally, you've got your 15K happening this week in Tallahassee. Uh, you had a couple of uh, battles thus far. Daniel Rodriguez, win over Ohio, for, of South Carolina, straight set win over Ohio State's Jake Van Enberg. You had uh, a victory, I believe, from Andy Andrade, a little teammate on teammate crime. Florida's Andrade, one and two over his teammate freshman, Abdallah Shelby, uh, Shelby excuse me, in their first round match. Love Inglidson versus Kingsley first round. Ben Shelton earns another first round victory. McNally a first round victory over future Ohio State player Jack Anthrop. Zeke Clark first round victory as well. The guy to keep an eye on, Arkansas's Alexandra Rico. Oh, Reco. He's been killing it here in the fall. Another first round victory for him to set up a matchup with Andrade. That could be a big confidence boost for the Razorback to earn a victory in that matchup. But that's the action to monitor this week across the professional tennis world. Of course, there are college regionals that have just wrapped up. We're going to talk about that later in the week. But of course, we recap the ITA All-Americans, or we'll talk about those regionals, excuse me, next week. But we recap the ITA All-American women's event this week with John Parsons. You can go hear that conversation as well as our thoughts on the top transfers from across the country over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, if you've missed any of our coverage over the past few weeks of action, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, our Great Shot podcast feed, Cracked Interview podcast feed, and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we are all at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends over at tennis point remember tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all that set for our super producers fligner and westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone 